Welcome to Frictionless Marketing, an exploration of how modern marketers are building their brands, reaching their audiences, and thriving in this post-advertising world. Geraldine Green is the Global Chief Communications and Public Affairs Officer at Yum! Brands, parent company to the iconic KFC, Pizza Hut, and Taco Bell brands that also recently acquired fast casual concept, the Habit Burger Grill. Geraldine leads the company's global reputation building and oversees global communications, crisis management, government affairs, and the company's ESG and sustainability strategies. Geraldine served as the lead communications architect for the spinoff of Yum's China business into an independent company in 2016 and the multi-year strategy for global growth to transform Yum into a capital light pure play franchiser. Prior to Yum Brands, Geraldine was executive vice president at global communications firm Edelman. She also held leadership positions at Deloitte, Burston Marsteller, and Willis Towers Watson. A member of the Fast Company Impact Council and the Arthur W. Page Society, Geraldine was named on the list of 100 most influential African Americans in corporate America by Savoy Magazine in 2018. In today's interview, Lippy Taylor, CEO, gets Geraldine's perspective on the importance of deep listening across stakeholders, how Yum! Brands prioritizes equity, diversity, and inclusion, and why mentorship, coaching, and sponsorship is critical to cultivating world-class talent. Now, without further ado, here is Lippy Taylor, CEO, Paul Dyer, in conversation with Chief Communications Officer of Yum! Brands, Geraldine Green. I'm here today with Geraldine Green, who is the Global Chief Communications and Public Affairs Officer of Yum! Brands, Inc., parent company of many iconic um, restaurants you're familiar with, including KFC, Pizza Hut, and Taco Bell, with 48,000 restaurants around the world. Geraldine, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Paul. I'm glad to be here. Um, so you, Geraldine, just jumping right into it, you have been quoted as saying that as a, as a leader, you thrive in situations where the solution has to be found and no precedent exists. Um, so from that perspective, thinking about the time we're living in today, what has this been like for you and what is your process for discovering and effectively inventing your own best practices? Thanks, Paul. Um, like I said, great to be here. Um, 2020 has really been a pivotal year for us in so many respects, especially as a large, globally diversified business um, that Yum! is. Um, as you already mentioned, we have actually now 50,000 restaurants. Um, we're in 150-plus markets. It just continues to grow, and we've got four brands now, KFC, Pizza Hut, Taco Bell, and now the Habit Burger Grill. So a lot of complexity, and I've invested a lot of my time along with my team really helping our organization navigate what I'm calling just the emerging social landscape that continues to be shaped not only by COVID-19, but also by the other realizations that we're having as a society at this time really all around the world. And so one of the things that I do typically is just connect dots, and I really work to help our organization understand how we should operate across a lot of different disparate perspectives. And there are two strategies that have really worked well for me, and they're also working well for Yum! at this time. The first is around deep listening to our many stakeholders, listening with new ears, and two, cultivating what I call shared interests. So when COVID-19 started to appear in January, no one was quite sure what would happen and we kept a close eye on all the sources back in January. We talked to leaders we knew around the world, 
epidemiologists, food safety experts. We were watching the media very closely. Uh, we paid very close attention to the WHO and the CDC and their equivalents in various markets. Again, connecting dots, and my team took the responsibility of bringing these insights to the table to support how our CEO and executives would make decisions around our next moves to deal with this emerging situation. Out of those early insights and a lot of discussion with the global leadership team, we carved out what we called our COVID-19 mission, which was to deliver safe, affordable, and delicious food in a low-contact manner. And this was really important. It was a, a massive shift for us from an operations perspective, but also a communications perspective. But it was a clarifier for us because we knew that in uh, an emerging situation like COVID-19, we wanted to be of service to our restaurant teams, our consumers, our franchisees, and also our communities. And so we did this with a lot of transparency, a lot of empathy, um, and it really helped us simplify what are the key essential things that we should be focused on at the moment. And so listening was key to that and really uh, figuring out how can we operate on shared interests was part of it as well. And the same thing applied when all of the social unrest became very apparent in the May and June timeframe. Um, the same principles applied as we watched the nation in the U.S. Uh, and the world really come to grips with the violence against African Americans. Before we said or did anything, we really turned to each other and started asking questions we hadn't asked before. Um, we kind of gave some space for the unspeakable things that we were seeing. And our brand leaders facilitated listening sessions all across the company. Um, it was really pretty remarkable to see how people were listening with new ears. And from where I sit, I encouraged our executives to connect with diverse talent at all levels and vice versa. Um, it's easy to watch what other companies are doing and think that you can copy it, but it's generally not always a good idea to copy it <laughs> altogether. So for us, we really wanted to make sure that we were you know, anchored by our center of gravity around people first our HR and diversity and inclusion leaders really kept the pulse on what was emerging and, and gave tools for people that navigate. So what we heard was making us ask ourselves, you know, what can we do? What can a company like Yem do in a situation like this um, when we know that people are first in our business? And so I worked with our leadership and our CEO to articulate what we called our call for unity um, inside our organization, outside our organization, as I mentioned, we are um, a very complex organization. We like to say that we have our CEO, David Gibbs, but we also have 2,000 other franchise CEOs that are running our brands around the world. So there's a, 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 an exercise around just dialogue and alignment that um, we're always looking to get better and better at to figure out what we need to do. And, and those moments that we encountered this year were really kind of the man-in-the-mirror moment where we reiterated our values. You know, so back in June, you know, we, we came out and we said we were going to stand against racism and tolerance, inequality, um, and that the lives of black people do in fact matter. And it was, it was a moment of bringing clarity to what we stood for, that people were first, particularly the front line um, and our local communities where we operate. And right at this moment, we're just working with our franchisees through new ways um, to, to put some action plans in place um, to really address the reality of what our frontline workers and, and communities are, are going through at this time. That's very powerful. Um, and thank you for sharing, you know, I guess a little bit behind the curtain uh, in terms of how that's come together for Yum. 
you guys have also made a, uh, a significant commitment in your local community. So you're a global organization, 50,000 stores, people in 150 countries, and yet you've pledged $6 million to advance equity and opportunity right at home in Louisville. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about that initiative and, and also how you think about, you know, to your point, you've got a CEO in Louisville and then 2,000 other CEOs, uh, which is probably something that many people listening to this uh, podcast um, might be a little bit like uh, like struck by lightning at the idea of having to work with 2,000 CEOs. But, um, you know, so when you think about this local versus global and then investing in your local community while driving you know this this uh, this global movement, this call for unity. How do you how do you think about these things sort of um, together? Yes, I think it's very important at this time to think locally and globally in some powerful ways. And for context, back in June we announced our hundred million dollar commitment over five years. So we know it's a long term commitment. It's over five years. It's a start, um, and our our mission, our pledge is to unlock opportunity by fighting inequality for our frontline restaurant teams and also for our communities. Um, as I mentioned, we've been people first, but this whole year has really clarified for us that the restaurant general manager and the team they manage in the restaurant are the people we want to make a difference for, as well as our local communities. And so specifically for the $100 million, we're going to be investing inside and outside our brands in three areas, equity and inclusion, education, and entrepreneurship. These are areas that we feel lead to strong, resilient communities where we operate. And so we want to be part of making that happen wherever we are. One of the things I'm really proud about and pleased about is that we started this planning more than a year before we announced it. So COVID-19 and all of the social unrest sharpened our thinking and our resolve around our commitment. But we started it last year, and because we did that, it put us in a good position to be very clear on what we stood for and how we could lean into that even more. When we started this process more than a year ago, our CEO, David Gibbs, challenged us to think about how we could make a sustainable difference for restaurant teams. And his specific questions were, how can we make it so that when people come to work at our brands, they're getting a leg up in life? They stay with us for however long they stay with us, but they actually walk away with transferable skills that help them navigate the digital economy or navigate the economies that are emerging where they are. Um, how can we do things in a way that it unlocks access to a career or an educational opportunity that they might not have had otherwise? We acknowledge this year as we um, were dealing with COVID-19 and, and watching everything that Many of the people working in our restaurants around the world are people dealing with inequality, you know, in some significant ways, or people that are people of color. And so whatever we do in terms of our social purpose, um, we want to make sure that we're, we're impacting their lives positively. And so we started on that journey here in Louisville, but we've actually got it started in a lot of different places around the world. That's great. And, um, it's great that you already had, you know, this in the works. Um, although one doesn't imagine that a hundred million dollar commitment would come out, come around in, in short order. Um, so, and, and obviously a lot of planning has gone into it. Um, I'm curious about the role that communications played in that process. And, 
you know, was it something that communications played a galvanizing or a accelerant role in, or was it something that really, you know, was, was either driven out of a different office and then the communications team was asked to communicate about it. So what was that process like, the role of communications? The role of communications, I think, was central to this. Um, not just the function, but the discipline of communications across our entire leadership team. So specifically for my role and my team's role, I see what we've contributed to this process as a clarifier. Um, we, you know, contributed as an activator, a truth teller, um, really trying to reflect what's going on in the outside community and what can we do about it. And I think in situations like this that are fast emerging, communications becomes strategy. It becomes leadership because everything's happening at the same time. You have to figure out what you're going to do meaningfully, almost, you know, from a long-term perspective. And you also have to figure out what you're going to say about it. And those two things really have to match. And so the way I think about it is in its, you know, highest contribution um, you know, change always starts with a conversation and exchange of ideas. And that's the process that we facilitated to get to um, this idea of unlocking opportunity to fight inequality as our social purpose. Um, and that really involved driving conversations at scale. And uh, I think that will ultimately be an anchor for how we think about uh, making social impact over time. It's now central to our recipe for good. Um, our recipe for good is our citizenship and sustainability strategy, and it's what we do to drive socially responsible actions across food, planet, and people. But one of the decisions um, that we made actually last year that I was alluding to earlier is we decided to elevate our recipe for good alongside our recipe for growth, which is our corporate growth strategy. And so those two things are now integrated, and people are at the center of both of them. Um, and we're going to continue to find ways to make a difference in our, our communities um, in terms of how we grow and in, also in terms of how we give back. And elevating it to that level of being a you know, corporate uh, imperative obviously really sends a message. So that's, um, that's inspiring to hear. Um, I'm curious about a lot of things, uh, you know, a lot of these recent events within our industry have changed the agency dynamic um, for, for a lot of companies and a lot of clients. And, you know, it's every, every week now we're seeing new headlines about, um, you know, clients changing agencies and those kinds of things. So I'm curious from your perspective, what is the role that you think agencies should be playing as um, strategic counselors, as partners? Um, you know, what is the best value that agencies could be bringing to you today? I think it's along the lines of what you just mentioned, definitely as strategic counselors, as partners, great ideas can come from anywhere. And we certainly expect that our PR communications and advertising agencies help us think around corners. That's how we think about strategic partners um, and also help us identify opportunities that we hadn't thought of. The agencies that help us the most have their pulse on what's going on in culture and in emerging spaces where dialogue is happening among our consumers, policy influencers, our other stakeholders. And so when I think about equity and inclusion specifically, um, which is definitely gaining traction, um, thankfully, agencies really need to walk the talk in terms of bringing diverse account teams to our greatest challenges, because we believe we'll get the greatest results. <laughs> 
um, through that kind of collaboration and also by partnering with our people leaders as well as our marketing leaders. So this idea of unlocking opportunity to fight inequality um, is not a communications initiative, for example. It's it's a brand-building, trust-building enterprise initiative. And so for us, we treat it very cross-functionally. And so to the extent that our agencies can also try to think cross-functionally and bring different types of disciplines, um, diverse account teams to our greatest challenges, that really helps us. We also have an internal consumer insights and marketing uh, insights firm called Collider. It's run by um, the founder of it, Ken Minch. And so there's a, there's a lot of collaboration that goes on between um, Ken's team, the communications team, the marketing team, the HR teams, and also our agencies. So um, integration is really key for us around coming up with the best ideas. It's great. And it seems like a common theme to your, your dot connector concept earlier of you know connecting those dots and integrating teams and people. Um, one of the big themes in the industry today is this idea of earned creative and culture jacking, things that um, are starting to be a little bit hard to tell whether it's, you know, PR comms or marketing or advertising, or it's all kind of blending together a little bit. And you guys are through pretty much all your brands have examples of where they've been really, you know, standout leaders in this, in this regard, whether it's the KFC Yule Log and Chicken Crocs or Taco Bell Hotel, or, you know, all of these things that have really generated a lot of um, earned attention for good reason, just being great ideas. So when you think about this, earned creative, and you mentioned agencies having their, their finger on the pulse of culture, brands inserting themselves in culture. Um, I guess my first question is like, is that marketing or is it PR? And the second is, does the answer to that matter? <laughs> you know, I don't think the answer to that matters. I think it's everything, right? It's brand building. And that brand building can come from your HR team in terms of how they deliver against the the ex- employee experience. It can come from marketing. It can come from communications, operations. Uh, we still think of it in a very cross-functional way. Um, there's so much convergence these days that it almost doesn't matter where the good ideas come from. And what's more relevant is that you have a big idea, whether it's social purpose or something else, um, and that you find a way to execute that in a cross-channel way that breaks through the clutter. Um, We also know brands that have a strong sense of purpose are positioned to speak to their audience with greater relevance. And I think when, when I consider the communications team and the perspective that communicators bring, that horizontal, that enterprise view of the brand, it really does position organizations well to be clear on what will break through in terms of earned creative um, with that multi-stakeholder view and make sure that the, way that the earned creative plays out is relevant to the targeted stakeholders you're trying to reach, but also that you can get more um, traction on it over time in the news cycle. Um, So a little bit earlier in the conversation, you mentioned um, having counseled executives from around your organization to meet one-on-one with uh, people of color throughout the company at different levels and things like that as part of a push towards transparency and deep listening, listening with new ears. A lot of CCOs right now are being tasked or asked to um, come up with new diversity, equity, and inclusion practices for their organizations. Um, 
many of them will openly admit there's a lot of work to do, but are not necessarily sure uh, even where to start in some cases um, or how outspoken they want to be on these topics. Um, so I guess my question to you would just be, what advice would you give to other chief communications officers, other people in a similar seat when it comes to the journey towards better diversity, equity, and inclusion? I think it goes back to the deep listening and the shared interests that I mentioned before. Equity and inclusion, when done well, is a transformative strategy wherever it happens, in business, in communities, in government, wherever it happens. And it should be treated with the same rigor a business would address any challenge. So think about the brands that aren't here anymore because they put their heads in the sand when consumer or, or technology trends were changing around them. The same kind of obsolescence can happen when brands ignore social issues. And so I look at equity and inclusion as navigating the new social landscape that's emerging, and it's very important for chief communications officers to understand what that is relative to their business. It's not going to be the same everywhere. But I would say that, you know, first things first, seek out and listen to different perspectives. Get a sense of where people are. You know, start there. And that's, again, kind of what we did at Yum, where we had diversity and inclusion policies. We had programs that we had already started on that were underway, some of which we really hadn't publicized yet. But when the landscape started changing around us, we really just needed to talk to each other again and say, how are we viewing all of this? So, so getting those perspectives is important. I think looking at what others are doing in your industry, you know, is also, you know, a good practice if you're unsure where to start. Um, how do your programs measure up? Um, how does your culture measure up? And then find the early adopters inside your company. Hopefully, one is your CEO, but try to understand where there are clearly people in your organization at the senior level or below who can be galvanized. There was a point in our diversity and inclusion journey where we had a lot of energy from our employee resource groups, and they were actually pushing the thinking around how we were thinking about diversity and inclusion. As I mentioned, change can happen anywhere where a conversation starts. So as a chief communications officer, be a curator of those conversations that can help move your organization um, to, you know, another level from where you are today. Um, the other thing is experiment. You know, just try some things. You may not be able to figure it out all at once. We actually made our announcement to invest $100 million in unlocking opportunity because we know that's core to how we think about our business. We build brands, we build businesses, we build talent. And so do we have all of the details figure out on how, how we're going to do that over five years? No, but we feel anchored in the intention. We're anchored in the investment that we're making. We're anchored in um, the personal passion that people have to, to come and add to how we will actually do that. So it's a journey, um, but experiment, know your risk. And then I'd say always work with your CEO to create a vision around it. What does success look like? What steps can be taken? Um, that's just a little bit of what I would share in terms of people thinking about diversity and inclusion and how you approach it. It just means taking action. If you have one woman or one person of color in your inner circle or in the company C-suite or the board of directors, there's a high likelihood that you're not making enough progress and that you're missing some critical insight and also talent. So the key is to own it, commit to action, change it, and then really important to move beyond 
managing the optics of diversity, which is a trap, <laughs> and move to, you know, drive opportunities that will advance your business outcomes. So look at it as an opportunity. Thank you. That was great. Uh, the optics of that diversity being a trap is something that I think will resonate with a lot of people. But I also really liked, and, and I think, Gerilyn, I'm, I'm going to advise that you now own this on your LinkedIn page, that you are a conversation curator for change. That was just, that's great language. <laughs> oh, that's fun. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, so one final question here, um, and it does come up frequently in the context of um, inclusion, really diversity and inclusion, but it's a much broader question as well for our industry is about mentorship. And, you know, you obviously have been extremely successful in your career. Um, you hopefully benefited from mentorship along the way and, you know, are able to extend that to others. When you think about mentorship, what does it mean to you and how do you approach it or recommend that others do? Sure. Yes. And I have had mentorship throughout my career um, and there can always be more. Right. Um, I, I'm really passionate about helping anyone reach or transform their potential, whether they're women, men, black, white, brown, Asian, LGBT. I, I, I'm just passionate about helping people transform their potential and understand their strengths. Um, and I've had some mentorship in my career. I haven't always had as much as I would have liked. And I think about it in terms of three things that are important to help cultivate talent, mentorship, coaching, and sponsorship. When I think about mentorship, that's lessons learned, right? Advice from experience. Um, that's someone that can help you fill in the gaps, a, a resource to speed up your learning about your experiences and your growth. It's very different from coaching, which is supporting people in making a change in their thought patterns or their behaviors that are in the way of their growth. I like to help people see a vision for themselves. Um, beyond where they are and for, you know, to help people generate the self-awareness that's needed to actualize that vision. Um, and then there's sponsorship, um, which is helping someone thrive in an organization, removing barriers where you can, advocating for them, pointing the way very specifically, um, helping them realize opportunity. And I think if we're going to cultivate the best talent, no matter who they are, we have to have all three of those operating in an organization. And as an individual managing your career, it's important to understand what you're benefiting from or what you need to see more of, whether it's mentorship, sponsorship, or coaching, and be open to which one of those will actually help you um, contribute as much as you'd like to contribute in your organization or in the world, really. That's very clear. And it's a great framework that mentorship, coaching and sponsorship. And I love the idea of thinking about that, not just as somebody who offers it, but as your own career. So Gerilyn, uh, Young Brands also is, uh, you know, has benefited from some very iconic advertising campaigns over the years. Obviously, everybody is familiar with Colonel Sanders, Taco Bell Chihuahua, et cetera, um, many others. Um, Curious, first of all, as advertising by some accounts is, is, you know, dying a slow death by other accounts is being dramatically disrupted. I think everybody can agree it won't look the same in the future as it has in the past. 
Um, what is your perspective, though, on the iconic brand assets like Colonel Sanders and the Taco Bell Chihuahua that um, you know came out of this these these um, advertising efforts and the the future for them and in the context of communications, you know, um, will Colonel Sanders and the Taco Bell Chihuahua still be with us? Well, I'd say, you know, in general, I wouldn't say advertising is dead. I think it is being disrupted. I think it is evolving um, and that the big ideas are just going to require more integrated and and cross-channel relevance to work really well. Relative to our IP, I think we're going to continue to listen to our customers in the broader culture. Uh, You know, Chihuahua was uh, distinctive in its time, um, and it's not in use now. And as you've seen with the kernel, we we continue to evolve with the culture, um, which continues to change, though more to come. Well, I mean, so speaking of continuing to change and evolving with the culture, KFC, can we talk about Kentucky Fried Chicken Crocs? How on earth did this purely amazing idea come together, and what has the response been like? You know, I love Crocs and I love KFC, um, but I, I had I can't take credit for either of these ideas here at our company. We have an insanely creative team at KFC, not just in the U.S., but globally. I'm sure you've seen some of the work that the U.K. Um, has done as well. Um, but the teams are always thinking through especially how to be relevant with a younger generation. And we're serious about our food because that's always got to be great. Um, but we're also really playful and unexpected where we where we can be. And, and team thought that, you know, Crocs was a playful brand. Um, and through that partnership, we were able to give customers a way to celebrate their love of fried chicken while also stepping out in legendary style, you know, in comfort of Crocs. Um, and we definitely need comfortable shoes the more we stay at home these days. Um, but the response has been overwhelming. It's, you know, they, they sold out in less than a half an hour and, you know, garnered nearly 3 billion impressions throughout the ca- campaign. So, uh, it's done really well, and um, you know the team again just does a great job of of watching culture and trying to find ways to to be part of it and and bring the love of of, of Kentucky Fried Chicken there as well. It's really been a pleasure speaking with you. So um, thank you again, and um, looking forward to crossing paths with you in the PR Week uh, judging circles. Yes, let's definitely stay in touch. I'd love to hear more about what you're doing these days and what you're hearing, and uh, appreciate that you're doing this podcast series and touching base with so many people. Thanks, Sherilyn. Bye. All right. Here, as always, are some key takeaways from this conversation with Sherilyn Green. Number one, it all begins with listening. As social unrest began to take hold in the spring, leaders at Yum! Brands knew that the first thing they had to do to determine the right action was to listen. They facilitated listening sessions across the entire company, connecting to diverse employees at all levels and branches to determine how they could better serve. Geraldine claims this forum was extremely effective, as change always starts with a conversation and an exchange of ideas. Geraldine further claimed that despite the fact that Yum! was observing how other brands were reacting to the crises, It was important for their team to develop their own strategy and do their own listening to ensure they were addressing the specific needs of their customers and shareholders. Yum! Brands developed a robust plan to fight inequality by unlocking opportunities for the restaurant teams and the local communities that they serve. For example, globally, they are investing $100 million over the next five years in education and skill development, equity and inclusion, and entrepreneurship to provide people with opportunities they otherwise wouldn't have had. The first step in driving conversations and actions at this scale and magnitude was listening to their local customers and internal stakeholders. 
Never underestimate the power of listening. Number two, integrate internal and external strategic teams for dynamic solutions. Great ideas can come from anywhere and anyone. As chief communications officer, Gerilyn sees her job as the curator of conversations. She says that this requires bringing multiple stakeholders together to integrate ideas and perspectives horizontally. The real magic happens within collaborations between internal teams, HR, comms, and operations, and external teams, PR, and marketing agencies. When everyone comes to the table with diverse perspectives while sharing a cohesive brand view, it's possible to think around the corners to solve the brand's greatest challenges as a dynamically integrated unit. Number three, Earned creative is picking up where advertising left off. In this age of ad blockers and DVR, advertising has been disrupted big time. Great ideas are going to require more integrated and cross-channel relevance to work and resonate with customers. Once again, this comes down to listening. Listening to your customers and the broader culture as they continue to evolve and change. Young Brands continues to take a creative, playful, and unexpected approach with their marketing assets through earned creative ideas that are so bold and noteworthy that they naturally garner significant media attention. Case in point, Kentucky Fried Chicken Crocs, a playful campaign that garnered nearly 3 billion impressions and sold out within minutes. Anyway, thank you as always for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, why not share it with your friends and colleagues on LinkedIn? Don't forget to follow the show on Instagram at Lippy Taylor, that's L-I-P-P-E-T-A-Y-L-O-R, and on Twitter at the same handle. To learn more about Lippy Taylor, visit us at LippyTaylor.com. Thanks again for listening. Thank you for listening to Frictionless Marketing. If you enjoyed this episode, you might want to check out Paul's best-selling book, Friction Fatigue, What the Failure of Advertising Means for Future-Focused Brands. In Friction Fatigue, Paul explains to readers why advertising is broken and provides a frictionless marketing framework to help build your brand in an era where advertising is no longer the answer. You'll learn how to protect your business against competitors and lead the pack with fresh marketing strategies that will help you prepare for a future where the consumer rules. Friction Fatigue is now available on Amazon and as a book on tape on audible.com. Thanks again for listening.